Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Uh, With us today is Nina Windsor, uh, our regular authority. I was careful not to use the word expert. Did you know in the state of Missouri, you're not supposed to use the word expert when you're talking about a lawyer? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Even when you you specialize or focus in certain areas exclusively, you're still not supposed to use the word expert. So you can use expert for other types of... For things, yeah, other professions, yeah. Doctors have what they call specialties. So so in reality, as a practical matter, lawyers typically focus on specific things. And, and the thing about the lawyers at Tucker Allen and Nina in, in particular, who she leads that group, is that they only do things related to estate planning, trusts, things that, that deal with uh, – the sort of life planning field, you might call it. So it can get very complicated. And today, we're going to talk about something that that we're not going to, we're going to be careful to not get into the woods. I was going to say it can be complicated. It can. There aren't a lot of lawyers in this field who really understand this topic. And this topic is called special needs trust. But before we lose you, I want I want you to keep in mind that the possibility that you either have or will have an adult child or even a grandchild that will have some disability in some form or the possibility that you yourself will have some disability in some form means that you can plan for that in ways that, that will make your loved ones and you eligible for benefits that you wouldn't otherwise be eligible for. You know, typically when you receive money because of of a death or whatever it might be. It might be an inheritance. You might even have savings. Typically, in order to to get any governmental benefits, you have to first use all that up, which kind of makes sense. You know, if, if a person has $500,000, you would say, as a taxpayer, they should not get the benefits of Medicaid and other, other government services, healthcare services especially, until they use up that money, and then we'll help them out. So by doing this sort of planning, you can actually protect the money that you would want to give to the people that you care for so they can use it for the most essential things in addition to being able to get medical care. And you can also do the same for yourself. So what's at stake here is something that we're all vulnerable to and and the people that you love most in the world are vulnerable to. And it's important that you understand that that by doing certain things correctly in terms of planning that you can protect them and allow them to get the benefits, the health care they need, and at the same time have money for the other needs in their lives. So that's the topic. It's a complicated area. It's a technical area. And thankfully, Nina is somebody that knows a lot about special needs trusts. So I wanted to give that introduction so I keep you tuned in so that you understand this is relevant to you, whether it is immediately or not. So with that, Nina... Do you want to intro- give, give a little further introduction to this topic? Sure, and thanks for having me today. Well, thank you for being here. Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. 
From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning. Count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. So special needs trust doesn't sound like the most exciting topic until you're coming across somebody in your family who may have what even a learning disability, something that doesn't seem like it's going to be incapacitating over time. But every time we sit down with a client, Mm -hmm. um, a new estate planning client or somebody who's coming back to take a look at their documents, we ask them whether any of their beneficiaries or remote beneficiaries, meaning grandchildren or something of that nature, are dealing with a disability or on any governmental benefits. And one of the distinctions that we should make early on is that disability doesn't necessarily mean that they are on Medicaid or Social Security income. They could have some sort of disability payments because they were an adult and they worked, and then they're getting uh, disability payments when they were unable to work after that that wouldn't necessitate them having these restrictions on how much they can have in their accounts and whatnot. So today, um, I want to focus mostly on people who are are actually concerned about losing those Medicaid benefits or Social Security income benefits. And when you're planning, you're trying to do a nice thing. You know, you're thinking, well, I, I hope I use up a lot of my money. I hope I'm able to retire and spend a lot of that money after I retire. But with what I have left, I want to take care of my family members. And the misconception is that if you put somebody in charge, you're just like, oh, gosh, I don't want to kick that person off their benefits. I'm just going to give their parent or their sibling the money that I would have given them and then they'll take care of it. That's not a good idea. That is not a good idea. So I know that that's going to resonate with a lot of you because that is an estate planning mistake that a lot of people make is just saying, oh, we'll just put so-and-so in charge and give them all the money. I'll just put my account over to them. So try to get out of that mindset for everything else that we're talking about today because that is, uh, you know, the starting point and it's not great. Yeah, it's a huge mistake and, and, you know, It's a long catalog of problems with that. Among them are things related to taxes, bankruptcy, uh, lawsuits, divorce. If you put this money in the hands of someone that you intend to be used for someone else, that can go sideways in a lot of different ways. It's just a, you know, you shouldn't consider that as an option, particularly when they're much better ones. There, there are. And really, if you don't think it's worth going into an attorney's office to try to fix it, uh, the office that you don't want to be in is the Office for Social Security, where they're asking this person where they're getting help from and who's giving them money. And you're like, oh, well, it's technically an inheritance and it's coming from my brother, but it was really my parents. Really messy. So when you're at the front end of things, there are a couple avenues that you can take. Uh, One of them is just to have a really good trust in place that already says, if one of my relatives or beneficiaries does become disabled, here's some language that is going to create the special needs trust. And that's a contingency plan. If you don't know of anyone currently during that planning stage who has a disability or could have this problem. So would you say that that should be kind of a universal practice? We do. We actually include, you know, people don't like it because it adds a few extra pages to their trust, but it's important because it can save you thousands of dollars and make it so that there isn't a scrambling, oh my goodness, I've only got 30 days to figure out what to do with this inheritance because it went to somebody that was going, and it's going to kick them off of their benefits. But if you already know 
Our specialty is tailoring things and being specific to your situation. So if you already know of an individual and and disabilities are not uniform um, and, and we want to be respectful of that. And they change right, over right. time. And they can change over time. And Nina, I want to ask you, okay, so say you have this special needs adult child yes. with developmental delays, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have guardianship or conservatorship on them in order to create this special needs trust. Is that correct? Yes. You're, so I want to be very clear, careful in answering because you do not have to have guardianship or conservatorship to set up a special needs trust for them. You can be a parent, a grandparent, or a guardian or a conservator. And that person, if they have developmental delays but still have capacity, can actually set up a, you know, a special needs trust for themselves that you could point at your assets towards. So the restrictions on who can set up a a first party or a, a third mm-hmm. party special needs trust, um, and we can go into that a little bit more, are diminished now. You can, most people can set up a trust for the benefit of somebody else. What I want to be very careful to say, though, is setting up a trust for somebody and providing them with assets after you're gone is no substitute for making sure that if they do need a guardian or a conservator, that you have also set out a plan for who might be a successor to you if you have guardianship as a parent. Okay. Because after your child becomes over the age of 18, you aren't allowed to do other things. You know, you can set up a trust for them, but you aren't allowed to make other decisions for them just because you're like, well, I did this nice thing and I set up a trust for them and I'm the trustee. Trustee is not a substitute for a guardian or a conservator. Right, right. And I, I don't want to linger too long on that because we, we have a number of topics related to special needs trust we want to talk about. But people can be reassured, though, that if they do create a trust, they can identify a trustee yes. that will manage the assets. So it's just that apart from managing the assets that, for example, let's assume you would leave to a grandchild, uh, you can be sure that your trustee will manage those assets in accordance to your requirements and that, and that you can be sure those that trust will not disqualify that that child from benefits or grandchild. So you those are the things you have peace of mind about. But but Nina's making a point about, you know, your somebody's ability to manage the lives of an adult. And that is different from managing assets. We're focusing here on managing the assets. Correct. But but to manage the life of an adult that does unfortunately involve a court. But if you set that issue aside and say, I'm concerned about how the assets are yes. taken care of and that your grandchild is still qualifying for all these wonderful benefits without losing their money that you've left them, that that right. they can have peace of mind about. That's the crux of it, yes. Okay, um, gotcha. So th- th- let's say that you are a parent. Um, you don't need additional qualifications in order to designate that a certain amount of your assets will be diverted into this special needs trust. And so now that we've kind of talked about what we do before we even know someone has a disability and incorporating those provisions, everything going forward from here would be in the context of actually creating a very specific, very tailored, separate document of a special needs trust for this person that you care about. Okay. Yeah. Boy, and that, that, so there's such power in this conversation. I mean, it accomplishes, you know, probably the single most important concern that that some portion of our audience has. 
as a grandparent or as a parent, uh, you know, you can zero in on these family members that are so dear to you and you want to make sure that you are helping them. But if you don't have the assets to set something up where they would never have to worry on being about being on benefits at any time for the rest of their life, right. then you don't want to give a gift that's actually a complication to their situation. That could hinder them with those exactly. types of benefits. So it's like, you know, sometimes just enough money to be nice for a little while and then make a problem for them down the road. Because once you have qualified for benefits, getting kicked off and getting back on them is a a pretty high bar. It's very complicated. Yeah. And one thing I noticed that that we we brought up uh, without much explanation is the third party versus first party phrase. And we don't want to lose you on any of this. We really struggle to make this, this, this show understandable. And Maybe just handle that quickly. We won't linger long. Sure. There's a big uh, benefit to a third-party trust, which means you are setting up a trust for someone else. You're the third party versus a trust that they are setting up because maybe they had a windfall and we're like, oh, gosh, I don't want to be kicked off of my benefits. So one thing that you may hear about special needs trusts is, oh, I don't want to do a special needs trust because at the end, whatever's left over goes to Medicaid. That is not true for third-party trusts. For a first-party trust where you are trying to divert those funds so that you don't realize that income in that year, um, whatever is left over that you don't use for those limited purposes of a special needs trust would go to Medicaid. The same way that Medicaid sometimes has a recovery on some other assets if they're taking care of you over a period of years. With a third-party, this thing that we're trying to do that's nice for someone else, You don't have to wring your hands and go, let's make a calculation of exactly how much they're going to need for the rest of their life because the third-party special needs trust that we're focusing on here today has an option of naming a beneficiary for whatever is left over after this person passes away. So that whatever's left in the account that the person, that your grandchild, for example, or child doesn't spend for themselves can be left to whoever you choose. In other words, it's not taken by by uh, the Division of Social Services Correct. as a repayment. Okay, so we're talking about when the special needs individual passes away. Yes. That money, so that can go to other family members yes. or whoever yeah. you left it to. Okay, gotcha. It's a marvelous device. And and that is the usually the thing that people have to get over that hump of saying, okay, th- this is more attractive to me now right. than what I had heard because the third-party special needs trust allows you to give that care. And really, are we talking so much about Social Security income when you're talking about higher net worth individuals who are planning, they may not be as worried about the income. But right now, we're still in a society that has a very complicated insurance structure. So once you've qualified for Medicaid, you may have some things that you want to supplement, but you aren't going to just want your loved one to be a self-pay insured individual. You can run up millions of dollars in medical bills if you don't have insurance. Yeah, I don't think people realize, yeah, the, the amount of money we're talking about here. It, let's assume that you have $5 million to leave to a grandchild or a child that may be in midlife uh, or before. Uh, they could easily go through a good portion of that in costs that would otherwise be paid for through some sort of governmental resource. And then think also about the fact that that the accumulation of interest, the compounding effect of that amount of money, let's assume that half of it isn't touched. Um I mean, 
you know the rates of compounding, the, the rule of 72, <laughs> mm -hmm. double it, yeah, you know, yeah. and so within five, six, seven years, depending on interest rates, it's going to double every time. So um, we're talking about a whole lot of money. So this isn't just a topic that's of interest to people who are maybe thinking about two or three or 400,000. It's of interest to somebody who's thinking about two or three million at least to consider this. But it's not excluding of anyone. I mean, yeah. you can take a very small amount of money or what, what you may not think is small, but in the grand scheme of things may not last very long if it was just the only thing that your loved one was living off of. But it's used to supplement for things that their SSI doesn't cover, that their Medicaid doesn't cover. So maybe Medicaid only covers certain types of devices for their you know, it's some sort of disability. Disability, that they have. sure. Yes. And you know that there are new technologies there that might make their life easier. easier. And so when you have a special needs trust, you have the option of saying, okay, well, you know, you can keep that thing that's still covered by Medicaid. I'm going to get the newest, best thing um, and I'm going to use my special needs trust to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, or it could be additional therapies. So maybe it's covered a certain amount of times per week by their insurance, but they can pay for additional therapies out Gives of that. Gives you more options. Test. It's talking about, you know, real, not only preserving a certain standard of living, but sometimes helping people to accomplish things and to improve their situation. Right. And what a wonderful thing to do mm -hmm. with the funds that you're leaving behind. And and it may very well be, just to make sure this point's clear, is that, that through SSI or whatever governmental income sources that they get, as well as payment for medical costs, that, that this money is ultimately passed along to somebody else. In other words, it's this cushion that's available as needed, so you know that your child will always have the best of, of whatever he or she needs. And yet, if it turns out that not much of that's needed, then it still gets to go to another source that you would choose after that person. Correct. It's a great program. So when you're creating this trust for your special needs child, okay, how many do you often recommend to serve as a trustee? And who oversees that the trustee is fulfilling those duties after you're gone? So we have, you know, we remember we had that entire uh, series of when your trustee's not doing what they're supposed right, to do. Right. So we're, you know, so we we always have to say, right now, you got to do the best that you can to pick somebody. Um, there are entities, trust companies that will serve as trustees over special needs trusts. There are even some companies right now um, that we recently became aware of that if it's under a certain amount, they'll actually serve as trustee at no charge because they handle such ultra high net worth for other people. So this is an area wow. where if you are really focused on get, naming a fiduciary and you're thinking, well, it's for my kid. So it's not a grandkid that I can name my kid as the trustee for. Who am I going to name as a trustee? I'm going to be gone. If you're struggling to find someone, sometimes it's best to name a an uninterested party as the trustee or a corporate entity as the trustee because they understand the restrictions of a special needs trust right. so that yeah. they don't accidentally, because a well-meaning person who wants to do something nice may kick the person off, uh, the, the disabled individual off of their benefits. Yeah, and that that, um, that is a mistake that you don't want to happen. Happens a lot, though. Um, so if we have maybe that corporate trustee that we've named as the special needs trust trustee, we could always name somebody as a trust protector that's kind of able 
able to keep an eye on things and coordinate coordinate with that trustee. And it's also a very reassuring thing for the corporate trustee to say, hey, by the way, this is what we're going to be doing. And I just wanted to keep you in the loop on it. So maybe you have um, somebody who is a in the same generation as the person with a disability that you name as trust protector, but you don't want to saddle them with the accounting piece of this. Yeah. So let me get this straight. So say you, you're creating this special needs trust Mm -hmm. and you name four people, say a couple of family members, couple of friends, but you also want to have a corporate trustee just in case that if something would happen to those four individuals. That's another way of approaching this. So what I was actually talking about was doing the corporate trustee as the primary. Is the primary. Yes. And the trust protector maybe being these other individuals that are able to keep an eye on things. And and, and also, if there's a change in the law, the trust protector is able to change some of the provisions of the way that the trust is administered uh, to coincide with that law. Yeah. Let let me clarify this a little further. I know this conversation is complicated as far as trustees. Uh, you can have, you know, one trustee, you can have two or three. You know, you probably don't want to have many trustees serving at the same time because that can be complicated. We but hate co-trustees around here. Too I many know. cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the, the advantage of an institutional trustee, somebody like a bank or some other uh, corporate or not-for-profit entity, is that you have professionals involved, you have insurance they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You have lawyers who are, you know, looking over the shoulder of the people who are administering their own lawyers. And so it's just much more stable. So you pay a fee for this, you know, maybe two, three, four percent of the amount of money. Uh, it will depend. But the point is, in exchange for that payment, there's a whole lot of peace of mind and and a much more assurance that that things will go as you plan. But the idea of a of a trust protector is a is something that's not a trustee. It's somebody that you appoint that has the power to reach in and fix things. But but the reason that that it's you want to do that maybe with a relative or somebody that you trust, but you wouldn't put the burden on to do this. You wouldn't trust them to be able to do the the complicated side of of what we're talking about here. But you know they're honest people and they care. That's a good candidate for a trust protector, somebody who has no legal duty under the law to act. In other words, they're not undertaking this burden, but they have authority, and they have this authority to reach in, to look over the shoulder of the trustee, and to just be sure from time to time things are going well. You would probably feel a lot more comfortable asking somebody that you know and trust who maybe have a busy busy life or whatnot to be a trust protector than you would to be a trustee. To be a trustee is a big ask. It's a yeah. big ask even on a normal revocable right, trust, right. but on a special needs trust, the stakes are so high that it really is something that you don't necessarily want to burden somebody with. And to add to that, um, sometimes the person that is the beneficiary of this special needs trust, they may be in a mental state where they really can't understand the restrictions from the special needs trust. So they may qualify in every other way for this special needs trust, and they may be able to communicate with the trustee. But if you put a family member as the trustee and they're like, I want to go use this special needs trust because my parent or my grandparent would have wanted me to have this condo that overlooks the Bay in San Diego. Not that this exact situation has ever happened to me. They can become combative when you say no. So if you say, okay, well, I'm just going to make their sibling the special needs trust trustee, 
it depends what kind of a relationship is there because if the siblings actually got along really well prior to that, but then the sibling who's the trustee has to keep saying no about making distributions from the special needs trust or saying, if I do make this distribution, you're all of a sudden going to get kicked off of your benefits when there's uh, an audit. It's really something that you're setting up that you could have seen ahead of time was not going to probably mm-hmm. go very well. So to appoint that sibling as a trust protector. Great idea. Yeah. Takes them out of kind of the line of fire, but yet they're still in a position to influence. And if the disabled individual calls the sibling and says, hey, I don't really like the way that this is going with my trustee and they're you know doing X, Y, and Z and it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, the sibling at that point can be the good guy and say, I'm going to go ahead and check into this for you. And I'm going to make sure that they're doing everything according to the book and according to the terms of the trust and compliant with the law. And then I'm going to check back with you and confirm that that's the case. And if it's not, don't worry, because I'm the trust protector. There are things I can do about that. Right. Um, And so you get to still have that family member be an advocate and a sounding board for that disabled individual, but they don't have to be the bad guy who has the purse strings and is having to say no when they don't want to. So let's talk about your special needs child is severely disabled. I mean, we're talking, say, Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And the the parents are up in years and they cannot no longer take care of this child. And they have to put this child into a facility where they'll be cared for the rest of their lives. And we're assuming that this facility is paid for by the state. Okay. Okay. Is there a need then for a special needs trust at that point? I mean, really, since this child most likely will be in this facility for the rest of his or her life, is there a need? Uh, There can be because that facility still is going to operate under the terms of what is available under state benefits to that person. So you'd be surprised the things that are not included in state benefits. So just because you have put your relative in a state institution, the special needs trust may be the only thing that you're holding on to that makes you feel better about what you're still able to provide for that right. person, even though you've turned them over to yeah. the state. Plus, I mean, keep in mind that it, this it's costing even more money now. So um, you still, to the extent that, that you don't want to voluntarily give the money to the government when your child can qualify for these benefits, then that motivation would still exist. So even hypothetically, the child goes into an institution, has everything that they want reasonably. Let's assume everything is provided. Right. So the reason that, that now the special needs trust is such a wonderful thing is that is that money, whether it's 200000 or $2 million, is going to be protected now for that next, that next child or that other grandchild, whatever it may be. So you're still protecting the money. And when you're talking about a condition such as Down syndrome, obviously there are various levels of Down syndrome, but there are also various levels of independence allowed within these facilities. Right. And so within that, there are things that can be provided for for that individual that will actually help them to have a semblance of independence, but those things would not be covered under um, state benefits. State aid. Okay. So you are. So you're saying I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I've you know found the situation that I'm most comfortable with. That still is something that can be uh, continued because you usually don't want to move uh, special needs individuals any more than necessary. Right. Um, and change their situation is very jarring to them most of the time, just the same as it is with elderly people. Right. Um, 
So you're saying I, I, this is the situation for the foreseeable future, but I could pass away tomorrow and I want to make sure that I've made provisions for this person to continue to receive everything that I would have done um, and when I go to visit them. Okay. And so there are certain things that a special needs trust can't be used for, um, but there are other things that it can. And we hope that there will always be someone who cares about this person. Sure. But from all the way from a big family that you're leaving behind who, you know, maybe visit this person and bring them their very special meal that they want, you know, every Saturday to somebody that you're leaving behind who may have no one else. You have the opportunity for the person who is possibly the conservator with this facility okay um to have control over this account and to supplement things for this individual as well uh, yeah. if, if you can't appoint somebody then the state will appoint somebody for this account okay yeah there's always opportunities to to have upgrades that are not going to be paid for but exist I mean that I think that will always be the case. Most likely. And it is right now. And that's what's important. So saying, oh, I really hope that the system fixes itself and is more equal to everyone and, and considers everybody's uh, druthers as as well as their, right. you know, basic needs. We're just not there and we're not really even close right now. So this mm -hmm. is something that you can do that isn't discriminatory against your beneficiaries just because somebody happens to have this uh, disability. Gotcha. But there are certain limitations, though. We should talk about that, I guess, regarding how the money can be spent to the to the extent that you you leave money for your, let's say, your disabled child, and that money is in a special needs trust, which means the good news is it won't impair or diminish their ability to get or and continue to get the benefits they've been getting, SSI, et cetera. But in exchange for that. There are some limits, are there not, on how that money can be spent? Can you talk about that? There are. So not to uh, make it you know, too complicated, but making sure that understanding the distinctions between these different types of special needs trust, that you're going to want to understand that the public policy behind them is that basic needs such as shelter and food are supposed to be covered outside of that, um, outside of the special needs trust. And a lot of other things that are, may be considered auxiliary, uh, but are related to bringing that special needs person into the, their best life, basically, um, can be covered by the special needs trust. So when you're talking about paying rent, that's normally not covered by a first party special needs trust, but there are things about shelter that can be covered by a special, by a third party special needs trust, which is what we were talking about yeah, today. Right. Um, there are things uh, that we talked about already that are talking about different therapies, different equipment. Um, and But these things also can be covered under things like trips. Um, there are plane tickets for people to come and visit the disabled individual. There are things that it can be used for, but they it can has come to be out done. of the trust. It can, but it has to be done very carefully. And it depends on what kind of trust you have. So the overarching takeaway is whether you are talking about a first party, a third party, which is where we focus today, or even an able account, which we may talk about it at another time. Um, th there are things that for a special needs individual can be used to supplement, but it's all that much more reason to have this person who's experienced in the role of the trustee because they can look at where the current law is for your state. Because remember, these laws vary from state to state. So I don't want to get too specific because I may tell you something that's you know not valid in the state that you're residing. But 
if you look at the laws of your state, they dictate what those funds can be used for. Then one thing that we should mention, I know we're running out of time here, but uh, I think this is a really cool feature that that people might be concerned about, the possibility that their child or grandchild will live in a different state, mm-hmm. that there may be a different jurisdiction involved. Good point. Yeah. is Can can you draft a special needs trust in a way that, that, that you can have confidence that whatever state in the United States that they might live in? You can. Um, and if you have a, a governing uh, provision, that's something that you can actually uh, have a trust protector address as well. So when we're talking about different provisions in the trust that you're like, oh, this isn't worded exactly the way that's going to make this the most conducive to what the current situation is, whether that's a different location or whether it's a change in the law since the time that you drafted the trust, that trust protector can step in and actually rectify that situation if there is one. So the good news is you don't have to anticipate all these changes in the future with a special needs trust because, you know, laws change, uh, people's residences change. Mm -hmm. By creating this trust protector and giving them the power, they can choose to transfer the trust to a different state, I assume, if there's a move. And they can also adjust the terms to fit new laws. I mean, that is huge. Right, yeah. It's something that... That doesn't go stale because it regularly renovates itself in terms of what the the state of the law is. I think it also supports, again, and we've talked about this before, when you're dealing with estate planning of any type, you want to go to someone who specializes in that area. Oh, goodness gracious, yes. Don't don't download a special needs trust off the internet. Yes, yes, (laughs) definitely not. Uh, something tells me that you can buy one of those for $33.95. Oh, I, I'm sure. It's, yeah. $39.95. Special. Maybe maybe they might have a Christmas special it's on It's a those, very special, special needs need trust. <laughs> so anyway, I hope this conversation has been helpful. Um, we encourage you, those of you who do have questions or concerns about this issue, uh, certainly contact Tucker Allen. Nina would be glad, or one of her uh, attorneys would be glad to, to talk to you about it. Uh, this has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.